Thank you for joining us for this episode of Turf Dudes, brought to you by Harrell's. This is your host, Jack Harrell III. Our Turf Dudes are reaching out to industry leaders and game changers to discuss what they're seeing out there. Topics focus on turf health, nutrition, control solutions, and the latest in academic research. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play Music or tune in directly at www.turfdudes.com. Send us your request to at TurfDudes on Twitter or by email to TurfDudes at Heralds.com. TurfDudes is spelled T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S. In today's episode, Heralds Director of Agronomy, Jeff Atkinson, and Ohio Territory Manager, Jim Dillard, caught up with Todd Hicks, Turfgrass Pathology Program Coordinator, and Joe Rimmelsbach, Turf Pathology Specialist at The Ohio State University Turf Research and Education Program. They are discussing the challenging growing season, what samples are prevalent in the lab, and offering some observations on controls. Welcome to another episode of Turf Dude Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Atkinson, and we are joined today by some special guests, uh, Joe Rimmelspock and Todd Hicks from Ohio State University, and Jim Dillard, the Territory Manager for Columbus, Ohio area. Um, thanks, guys, for joining us. Why don't we get started by you guys introducing yourselves, telling us a little bit about the Ohio State Turf Research and Education Program. Okay. Uh, my name is Joe Rimmelspock, and uh, basically my position is a turf pathology specialist. Uh, it's a primarily an extension position, so I do a lot of the work with samples that come in, diagnosing problems on turf. Um, also, we, uh, Todd and I work together on uh, teaching a class in turf pathology and turf health management. And of course, we do our uh, research or applied research program together. And just a lot, a lot of extension talks, a lot of continuing education for the industry people and things of that nature. My name is Todd Hicks. I am the Turf Gas Pathology Program Coordinator. Uh, a major thrust of my position is in research, applied research, lab research. Uh, I kind of head that up, well, obviously, with Joe's help. And uh, I do some extension outreach work uh, with Joe. And I help uh, just a little bit and in, in instruct our other one class we do a year. So from a research uh, point of view, uh, most of the research you guys conduct out here is applied research, taking products that manufacturers or, or uh, companies like Harrell's may bring to market and, and evaluate those for how superintendents in the area may use them? Absolutely, yes. So what using those and kind of with that in mind, what, what are some trends? I guess some, uh, let's start here. What, what types of challenges have have y'all seen with uh, from superintendents this year? It's been a challenging summer. We've had a lot of rain, a lot of heat. Um, from a disease perspective, insect perspective, weed perspective, across the board, what are some trends that y'all are seeing? Uh, it seems like every summer we say it's a new and hard summer. Uh, this one really has been. Yeah, sure. I, th- I think uh, in my 20-year-plus career, I've not seen anything like this before. Uh, and Joe obviously has a, a much longer extensive background in turf than I do, and I think you would agree. But the challenges this year have been whatever has normally worked for you has not worked this year due to the weather, the rain, and the increase in both pathogens and um, environmental factors combined with insects. It's just never let up. Um, it's been a constant stream of pressure, and when that pressure goes away, it only goes away for two or three days, and when it returns, it comes right back at the level it left off. There's no restart. So uh, turf has been under threat since about Memorial Day weekend and uh, up till this week uh, when we, uh, uh, Central Ohio at least, had extreme weather uh, as far as humidity and temperatures. And uh, hopefully we're going to see some relief here in the next couple of days. But 
right up until today uh, or this week, we've, we've been under strong pressure or threat. Some of, the, some of the things I've been saying is in the golf area, especially people that have um, stayed ahead of things, started early pre-symptoms and, and then made adjustments because of the pressure for weather, um, i.e. maybe shortened up intervals, maybe adjusted the rates, stayed ahead of disease problems. If people got behind, they, they really have struggled to, to catch up. Um, the other thing I'm concerned with is right now we, we are very fortunate to have many excellent fungicides in many different families, and so they're working well. My concern is that uh, with overuse or abuse of them, could we potentially be moving into resistance issues in certain of the, in the newer families? Um, Weed-wise, especially on high-cut areas, whether it be golf or lawns, landscapes, are just unbelievable. I've never seen crabgrass, monocot weeds as prolific. Nutsedge. Um, sedge. I mean, at home, I have nutsedge that's knee high <laughs> everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and then, of course, the dicots I've just taken off. So it's been, if you've been in an area with adequate or high level over excessive rainfall, the weeds have just exploded. So you mentioned the, the monocot weeds, and I know that goosegrass continues to be a weed that's migrating. Is that something that we're seeing more of in the Ohio area than, than we've seen in the past or more northern areas of I, Ohio? I think there's more, but it's still not a, a big threat. I'd say nutsedge and uh, crabgrass um, seem to be the two biggest ones we hear complaints of for the home lawn. Person. Yeah. And through the, through the years, the decades, I should say, since I'm getting so old, um, there were, I can remember weeds that were only found in the greater Cincinnati area and, that are now throughout the state. Yeah, right. uh, nimble wilt's one of those. Um, other, even broadleaf weeds. It's just incredible. I, I just it, Bermuda grass. I mean, we're seeing it everywhere. I think a lot of that has been brought in uh, by accident, maybe in landscape material and things of that nature. But we're, we're seeing more and more grasses, weedy grasses, throughout the state. Now, I want to kind of loop back around. You, you made a comment about having some good chemistries, but resistance becoming more of a concern for um, for fungicide applications. And specifically, specifically, I can remember back to um, at field day, I think there was a conversation about, the Ohio State field day, there was a conversation about uh, dollar spots specifically and resistance developing with some of our, uh, our potential resistance developing with some of our newer chemistries. Um, what strategies are you recommending for superintendents to protect the chemistries that we do have and maintain their efficacy? I, I think, uh, as Joe said earlier, um, being early, we, we've preached for 10, 15 years about going out earlier than normal that last week of April, uh, first week of May, to push the dollar spot inoculum down, keep that down to a level where it doesn't come to infection, uh, does a lot uh, for the superintendent. So when they do get disease, it's much weaker than normal. It doesn't turn into full-fledged chasing your tail for the rest of the summer. Um, you can control it. The, the problem is, is a lot of guys get into trouble and with all the pressures on superintendents these days, they look to spray themselves out of trouble. Um, as we all know, that, yeah. that, that rarely works. Yeah. And it really didn't work this summer. It cost you a lot of money. And you could possibly cause yourself some resistance problems. The other problem I see coming on is uh, with our newest family that seems to be having a new product every year, SDHIs, there's already noted resistance um, from several of our, our colleagues. Um, but it's not widespread. The problem is not the single-use product where it has one AI. It's after these products hit the market, the next thing you do is combine them with another good product, mm -hmm. which in theory is a great idea. The trouble is sure. a superintendent, when he's looking for a product, 
He doesn't care if it's a combination or a single product. He sees what he needs, no matter what it is, and he yep. goes, use it. So a yep. lot of times, they're using A product for A problem, and they've got B in there, and they really don't need it, and it's going out anyway just because I have it. And those are the times that I'm going to start to worry about resistance and, and using products back-to-back. So I think we need to be very, very careful with the SDHIs. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree 100% with that. I really do. The other thing is uh, one trend we're seeing this year is even with excessive moisture in many areas, we are not getting a huge number of samples of anthracnose. And again, I think we know some management techniques to help manage mm-hmm. sure. anthracnose that people are using wisely as far as like fertility, mowing uh, quality. Um, but we have a large you know, supply of fungicides at work. But I'm I'm concerned that Possibly these are being pushed too hard, and that resistance may show up here in the future. And that will be really, it'll be difficult to manage. Again. So, kind of your take-home message: it's always, as always, has been, is just rotate chemistries. Pay attention to what uh, fungicide groups you're making applications on, whether that's an individual standalone product or that's a combination product. Yeah. We try to hand out or preach our website wherever we talk or speak to folks. Take a look at the website. Take a look at the family fungicide chart that we make. It's a real easy chart to go down and see what AI you're using, what family it's in, and we've even included the FRAC numbers now for people that are keying on the FRAC code so that they can make sure they're actually getting different families and rotating. Well, for reference, what is the website? Where can superintendents find that info? It's www.turfdisease, one word, at osu.osu. Edu. Edu. Excuse me, it's turfdisease.osu.edu. www.turfdisease.osu.edu. Got it. Got it. Well, I'm sure that's a good resource. And we'll put that we'll put that in the notes as well for, for the podcast whenever good. we deliver it. So it'll be out there. Now, guys that are, um, let's ask one more question first. So we've talked about the kind of dollar spot. We've talked about anthracnose. Have there been any other diseases that have been, I guess, more prevalent this year or less prevalent this year than a typical year, if there is such a thing as a typical year anymore. On the golf course side of things, well, uh, actually, turf period, the three big ones that come to mind are leaf spot, Mm -hmm. pythium, and gray leaf spot. Mm -hmm. Um, Leaf spot's usually just kind of a pain disease. It's there, I've got a problem with it, I'll spray something, it goes away. The thing that I've always liked about leaf spot is, and this is what a sick pathologist thinks of, (laughs) <laughs> this is a disease, and there's so many leaf spot varieties out there. There's some like heat, there's some like coolness. They all have one thing in common, they like wet. So we've had enough wetness this summer in huge amounts to where leaf spot just has not gone away. It's chewed and chewed and chewed right. to become a, a significant problem. Pythium started earlier than normal, and right up until two days, well, today, uh, we've looked at a sample with pythium on it here at the Turf Center. So that's gone on for a very long time. And then finally, gray leaf spot. Um, Joe's been looking at samples for a very long time. Um, we used to have a conversation why we didn't see it or see it much on home lawns. That conversation's gone out the window because Joe has boxes of yeah. dead turf uh, that cool. resulted from gray leaf spot from homeowner lawns. Sure. So um, it, it's come on really quick. It's a killer. It wipes out a massive amount. The, the nice thing is it is tended for us to stay uh, within the ryegrass area. Now, if you guys have, you've got a lot of lot of dead turf out there, um, golf courses, home lawns, in between, 
Uh, we're, we're right in the middle of a period now for establishment of, or recovery establishment of, of lost areas. What things should uh, superintendents and also managers of homeowners be considering when it comes to turf establishment this winter? Or not this winter, this, this fall? Yeah. Well, first thing is, it's a, it is the ideal time. Don't miss the window. Right. Um, the second thing is then your selection process. And, uh, especially with existing turf, you know, how important is blending or matching existing colors and textures? Uh, that's going to be real important. Uh, the NTEP trials can sometimes help you give you good information on color, disease resistance, sure. et cetera. Sure. If you're using ryegrass, especially it's used heavily in, in lawns and things for quick cover or athletic fields, if you're going to use it, make sure the um, uh, blend you use is uh, all of them are GLS grayly spot resistant. It doesn't mean they're immune, but they are sure. bred for resistance. Sure. And there's good products uh, coming out. So make sure all... All the varieties, cultivars in the, the, the seed has that. Um, and then just, you know, make sure you do it properly. Get in, make it sure you get in the ground. Don't just throw the grass, you know, so many homeowners just throw the grass seed on top of the thatch and mm -hmm. it doesn't work. So just good Soil to seed contact. Just, just good Absolutely. common sense seeding practices, yeah. How about fertility afterwards? Is it important for a good fertility program after seeding to for establishment? Absolutely. Well, my account, you, you I'm old school, but you know, pound it with starter fertilizer at the time of seeding, come back you know, maybe a month later, month later, month later, just keep pushing it. The one comment I will make, though, is, is as we go into this fall, if we do sustain high temperatures and hot, humid conditions, especially humid conditions, and you're dealing with ryegrass or juvenile turf, you're much more prone to diseases. So mm -hmm. you may have to put in some type of granular or, or other pithy material, time of seeding, protect those seedlings. Um, if you're pushing it hard with fertility to have it really fill in quickly and it's lush, you're gonna be susceptible. So really be very, keep real close eye on it. Do not delay uh, if you see any problems with it. So kind of along the same lines, now we have some areas that we still have turf. Um, we have other areas that we're establishing from, from new seedlings. Uh, but we've got to get through winter. Uh, what are some things that superintendents and, and home law managers as well should be considering for, I guess, turf health that they can, for the winter months, but they can pre prepare for now? Mm -hmm. Well, a couple things come to mind. On the golf course, of course, and I know people, some people keep things clean going right into winter. Mm -hmm. And if you can afford to do that, you have the revenues, whatever keep it clean going into winter, you're going to be much better, stronger through the winter months. What do you mean keep it clean? Keep it clean from diseases. Excuse okay. me, that, gotcha. that's a good point. From disease management. A lot of times people say, well, it's late, I'm just going to let Dollar Spot or whatever kind of run its course. Um, but that may come back to haunt you the next spring because you have a higher inoculant potential uh, from that standpoint. Fertility, I think, you know, late, late winter fertility can be very beneficial. If we go into winter, you know, if you have a very mild winter, it's growing all winter. And then the other big thing I think it, it, people get tired of it, you just got to keep mowing. Yeah. And in these last years, I mean, I, I've mowed home lawns in the last couple of years and months I've never mowed grass in before. December, January, sure. February, I'm, I've mowed almost every month at times my home lawn just, and it needs it. Yeah. So the big thing is just to keep on top of that. I, I guess the one hint that I would tell folks is take a look at your roots. Especially on golf courses, we've been dealing with extra short roots all season long. They're in bad shape, even if they look good from above. When you get down in the soil and let your root systems, there's not much there. 
Make sure whatever fertility plan you have is directed towards growing roots. Get them down, get them long so that you can put the, the turf to bed so you wake up ready for whatever's going to hit us next spring. Well, um, to change directions a bit, you guys are kind of the front line of, of research when it comes to new products and um, evaluation and I guess the proving grounds, for lack of a better term, of new products. Um, what have you seen that's new or newish within the last couple of years that seems to be working? <laughs> I'm going to ask Todd to talk about it. <laughs> I'm, I kind of do, a, I come out and I help with spraying and things, uh, but uh, I don't know, Todd, do you have anything coming yeah, to Yeah, I, I, you know, um, Syngenta came out with their new SDHI, Posterity. Looks real good. Um, Secure Action's out. Um, that looks, it, it follows right along with the, the, what we've seen with Secure, doing a really nice job. Um, BSF has two new products they're looking at coming out with, Navicon and Maxima. Those did very well for us. Um, and then there's some other projects we've worked on um, with uh, some off-brand uh, companies, Precision Labs, a company called Cytosigns, uh, and with Herald, where we're looking at programmatic approaches or single-use products combined with lower-rate fungicides so that you're getting better usage of the fungicide uh, yeah. through some, some alternative technology, which I think uh, you know pay dividends yeah, as long as the product's uh, fairly priced, sure. you know what what will happen if you could all of a sudden use Secure or, or a Dactyl at half the rate and get right. the full rate effect. Right. You could have that many more sprays or, or that much more product in the tank for the rest of the year. So I think that's a, an avenue we're looking at more. A lot of other of our peers, when we talk to them, we're looking at those kind of products uh, because these things aren't getting any cheaper. Yeah. Um, you know, we dealt with a whole list of problems this year, such as transportation costs and transportation oh, wow. getting yeah, products absolutely. around. And we've got the whole thing with uh, actual production overseas being cut way back. So that drives products up uh, price-wise, availability's up. So better use of the products. Um, that, those kind of that kind of technology is probably going to be the front runner. We're we're kind of running out of new products coming out. Yeah, we're kind of coming sure. up with the same old uh, wheel. It's just painted a different color. Yeah, um, yeah. So until we come up with a new family of fungicides, right? Um, we're not really seeing anything, you know, for the July fireworks kind of stuff. But it is nice to see some new products, some new alternatives, um, to to help drive the market and give guys. Uh, some better price points maybe, uh, and some more options. Now there's a lot of superintendents who are starting to consider the use of biostimulant type products to either reduce their rates on, on their fungicides or even just complement their current fungicide programs as they are today. Um, if you have a superintendent who has never used a, a, a biostimulant type product like Harold's 400 um, or their Biomax line of products, how, how would you describe uh, a biostimulant and their activity that are the benefits they might provide a plant to a superintendent who's never used one before? Well, the first thing is, is like every other product, you've got to be careful because the word biostimulus used a lot. Sure. Um, so the first thing was, depending on what state you're in, I'd tell you to go talk to your pathologist or whoever is doing that work and see if they've looked at this product and used this product. Yep. Get, get that third-party objective view because uh, if I'm selling you a product, whatever I'm selling is the best there ever is. You know how that works. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. But secondly, you know, uh, again, if you use something that is a natural product that's not causing harm to the environment, um, it's given added effect to the turf, 
uh, why not? Uh, not only that, but the, the overall uh, political view of these products is is fairly uh, benign. It's not synthetic. It's not something that you're adding to the environment that's causing a problem. It's a green product, quote unquote. So it overall makes the course look good of using products like that to enhance the environment. Sure. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to put it. Yeah, I think, and of course, uh, we always encourage people, um, if there's something, if this is an area you have never, you know, ventured into, never used, you know, get some product and, and do some test plot. You're on the, you know, split, split some greens, fairways, do some test strips somewhere. And, uh, and with, you know, smartphones now, take some photos, follow them, look at routes, and really see what kind of impact you're getting. And I think you'd be surprised, and then you can kind of, that can help navigate which ones you want to use, how you want to use them, rates, things of that nature. Well, and Jim, I think that you can say, I mean, we encourage our superintendents oftentimes to say, well, let's prove it to you. Let you prove, prove it to yourself. You know, if it, it it's going to do what we say it does, and Put it out yeah, and see how it works. There's a lot of products in the market that say they can do this or that. I mean, the only way you and, and every site is to test it and, and get a feel for it. And, I mean, a lot of our products are pretty cut and dry. I mean, you know, the rates are there. Um, everything's tested. But I think the bottom the bottom line is test them on your site and, and get a look and see for yourself. Well, guys, we've covered a range of topics. Um, anything that you would like to add? Uh, just be careful out there. Uh, right now, especially as it continues to be hot and wet in many areas, as uh, we kind of jokingly say, uh, less is more. And what we mean is, you know, if you have questions about keep adding more and more and more things into the spray tank or doing more and more things, just stop, step back. What is what's the basics of growing healthy grass? Mm -hmm. And and maybe not add all those things, or wait until you get into a better growing condition. Well, hopefully better growing conditions are around the corner uh, from where we're, <laughs> where we're at today. So, um, We also, is there anything that you would like to plug, I guess, as far as uh, how, how you guys communicate um, to superintendents in the Ohio area or beyond the Ohio area? Um, if you haven't seen our turf tip videos, <laughs> yeah, yep, exactly. Uh, we we yep. thought that was going to be a one-year gig, but apparently there are some people that like them. Um, <laughs> So we we keep doing them. Must be doing something. Um, right. Joe and I put them on our Twitter accounts. Uh, we put them on our Facebook account. Um, OTF and several other in-state organizations try to okay. fan those out, but uh, shouldn't be too hard to find if you want to find them. Okay. Uh, my Twitter handle is Turpat Todd. Joe's is J Rimmelspach underline or slash OSU. <laughs> Just look up Turf Path Thought. I think that's going to be easiest. It will be. Yep. And we, we try to do them about every two weeks, three weeks okay. in the summer. Five to eight minutes was hopefully some helpful advice. Sure. Of what we're seeing, what's going on, maybe some ways to avoid it or get out of trouble. Sure. So you can probably just go on Twitter, search Ohio State Turf Tips, and mm -hmm. I'm sure it'd show right Come right up. Come right, mm -hmm. right up. Well, guys, we appreciate your time. Appreciate the insight. Jim, anything else? Nope. I'm good. You're in. Nope. Well, thanks everyone for listening, um, and please join us soon for another episode of Turf Dudes. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Turf Dudes. Todd Hicks can be reached at hicks.19 at osu.edu or on Twitter at TurfPathTodd. Joe Rimmelspock can be reached at rimmelspock.1 at osu.edu or on Twitter at jrimmel underscore osu. Their turf tip videos and other valuable resources are available through turfdisease.osu.edu.
send Dr. Atkinson and the Harold's Turf Dudes team your questions or comments, or to be featured on an upcoming episode, reach out to us at Turf Dudes on Twitter or by email at turfdudes at heralds.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and Google Play or tune in directly at www.turfdudes.com. Turf Dudes is spelled T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S.